BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going. New week, same top 100 list as we are in part three here of this top 100 breakdown on the call up. It's on justbaseball.com. If you want to follow along, that link is in the podcast description. I'm Arm Layton. He's Jack McMullen. And Jack, I mean, we, we, we promised we'd spare the jokes about the players getting better and better and as we get to each episode. But I am just really excited to keep going through this list because – of course, it gets to ranges where it's just there's some like buckets of players when we get to like the 50 to 55 range where it's like, I love this group. Um, and, and we're getting closer and closer to some of my favorite groupings in this top 100. But we're getting right to the middle. We're getting right to the meat of it with this one with prospects 70 to 56. Yeah, it's an interesting crew that we've got here to say the very least. I mean, we've got guys that... <clears throat> You know, we've got an 18-year-old in low A. We've got a 19-year-old in low A. But then we have, you know, a couple of 24, 25-year-old big leaguers in here. And you see that there's also a grouping, like 61 through 64, that we're going to get to that is incredibly unknown in this. And you've got two guys that were really hyped at a really young age and it hasn't entirely clicked for them. You've got a guy that kind of came out of nowhere and then you've got the, the wonderkind, right? The teenage wonderkind right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'd say the groupings within this list are really interesting. So this was a range, and I always try to be like as transparent as possible. Um, this was a range that stressed me out. So I'm, I'm like, I, I'm excited to talk about it because I love talking about just like the decision making process. And like, these are the guys that I was probably texting you about, you know, a, a fair amount. Specifically, we'll get to Bryce Miller, who's going to be number 70. Uh, but also, we finished off, just for reference, with Drew Romo, uh, who was 71. But there was just some players in here that were very stressful for me to try to rank, uh, whether it was because they've let out some steam from what they once were or they've given a lot of you know mixed signals. They have risk, but the upside is there. You know, Kind of the whole scene that you just set, and, and people will kind of understand more as we get into each individual player. But this was a range where – 
you know, I was looking at, you know, not to spoil, we'll get there, but looking at like a, a Marco Luciano. And he was one of those main names in this list where I'm like, am I taking this player over or under him? I, I, and that's where I kind of used this range to decide kind of what tier uh, prospects would be in. So like the Noel V. Marte, Marco Luciano area here was that range where it was like, is this guy above that volatility or below right. it um, yeah. to be below that volatility? Either the ceiling had to be a little bit lower. The floor had to be like way lower. There was a lot of other factors in here, but this was a range where it got really hard uh, because to me, once you get to that top 50, there's a tangible adjustment in the type of prospects uh, and, and what you kind of get from them. And in this range, it's guys that could you know, start to fall towards the back with depending on how this first half of the season goes or fly into the top 50. This is a very fluid range of the top 100 list. Yeah, I, I don't want to use the term like meh, M-E-H, but like this is the last of because these are top 100 guys. But this yeah, is they're the all last great. Of the, but- yeah, they're all great. But this is the last of the, you know, like non bona fide top 50 guys. Like there's a different aura in the top 50 than there is no in doubt the 151. No doubt about it. So let's get into number 70, a guy that, you know, I I know we are higher on than anybody else. I know Baseball America recently entered Bryce Miller into the top 100 right-handed pitching prospect with the Seattle Mariners. And this was a guy I was texting in our prospect chat about a little bit. Um, I reached out to a few different people because there's one specific grade that you will see here that, that stands out above all, and it's the 80 grade fastball. From Bryce Miller. And, and I was on the fence of whether it was a 70 or an 80, but I looked at a lot of the other 70s on, on this list. A Taj Bradley, uh, which is just off the top of my head, who we'll get to later, as a 70 grade fastball. And ultimately, you know, that is that is a pitch that is a 70 grade fastball, and Bryce Miller's is better. It's just that simple. So when I was looking at it from that regard, like, yes, it's not 101, 102, but it's 96, 98, touching 99 and 100 with some of the best shape I have seen from a fastball from this just slingshot type of delivery where his his release point is so low. He's able to get so low and like kiltered almost where his, his shoulders are pointing upwards. And it looks like he's releasing the fastball in a way that it's like he's throwing it upwards. So when you have that with 21 inches of induced vertical break, which is elite, 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 that'd be among the best in baseball. And it's at 95 to 97, grabbing eight, nine, sometimes 100. It's hard to argue that there's a better fastball than that. Then you dive into the numbers, the statistics behind it, and it's kind of the same story. I could take the small sample size from this year. I'd rather take you know the whole sample size of last year. Yeah, This guy threw his fastball 52% of the time, Jack, and opponents hit 160 against it. I, it like It's just that simple. 30% in zone whiff on a fastball that you know you're probably going to get more than half the time and nobody could hit it what really did me in uh i did did me in is probably the worst the wrong way to say because it's a negative connotation but what really put me over the top with the 80 grade was i queued up every single hitter's count fastball 2-0-3-1-1-0 and he could miss middle middle and it would still miss over over the bat of guys. Like guys would just swing right under it. And that to me showed the, just as good of a fastball as you're going to find. We'll get to the rest of the arsenal, but I just wanted to set the stage there. Yeah, it's gravity defying. And you mentioned the angle in which it comes out. It looks like, as you said, it looks like it's, it's shooting upwards. It is a rocket ship type fastball, which is really weird. And it's a very rare form of electric. 
And I know that Hunter Green had an 80 grade fastball, um, you know, on, on some outlets. Did you have an 80 on Green's fastball or did you have a 70? I had a 70. I am more of a believer in shape than velocity. Obviously, if it's 90 yes. to 92 with elite shape, it's not going to be a 70 or an 80. Right. Um, like Joe Ryan was like a 60. That's yeah. still really good. Right. We talk about Joe Ryan a lot in that regard because he proves that you can get swings and misses at fastballs that like harder fastballs can't get. So Hunter Green, yeah. you know, his fastball gets touched occasionally. Um, I love pointing while you love pointing to Ryan. I love pointing to Christian Javier, who sits 94 yep. with the fastball, but opponents hit a buck 80 against him because he's an IVB guy. It looks like it, it floats out of that arm angle and it just continues to take off much like Bryce Miller. So I'm with you shape more than velo. And that is why this pitch is so good because you know what? 98, it's not one Oh two, but it's 98 miles an hour, man. And if it profiles like this, it's crazy. So so to that point, you know, who has a better fastball, Christian Javier or Hunter green, a Javier, right? So that's, that's the thing for me is I feel like it's still a little bit too caught up in velocity. Of course, velocity matters, but if we're, we're splitting hairs when it's 97 and this is 97 with the shape too, again, if it was 92, 93, Different story. It's not the story with Bryce Miller. So uh, one of the best fastballs, I'd say maybe the only fastball that might be better now is the guy we're talking about in Mason Miller because he's 101, 102 now and starting to flash that 19, 20 inches of induced vertical break, which is a joke. So uh, those are the two best fastballs in the minors. But Bryce Miller also, the slider has come a long way as well. Uh, And that pitch now looks above average, which is all he really needs is to have a few above average secondaries and you can have big time success uh, with with an elite fastball. Sliders above average, continues to get better with the command of it. It's good against lefties and righties. His changeup is flashed above average, which I think it'll play up because of how elite the fastball is. So even if the changeup is average, it'll play up to above average. And then he's got this taste breaking curveball. That's a good enough fourth pitch. Last year, opponents didn't hit the slider very well either. Uh, but, you know, it was obviously touched up a little bit more than other pitches. That's the one thing that's holding Miller back from being a potential frontline guy, really, is the you know lack of uh, standout secondary pitch. But I think off of this fastball and even just a solid slider and, you know, usable third and fourth pitches, it feels like Bryce Miller at the very least could be a, a number four type the floor actually is is he could go into a bullpen and shut guys down with 100 miles an hour and a fastball you can't touch. But I think he's got a good shot with the command being pretty solid of being a number four, number three type. Yeah, I mean, look at him in the same way that you looked at Matt Brash, right? I, I think that's the best way to, to take Bryce Miller because yeah. worst case scenario, he turns into an elite setup guy in a year. Um, but he can and is probably a better starting pitching option than Brash ever was because Miller yeah. has more command than Matt Brash. It's going to be a race to get to the big club, man, with with Marco Gonzalez, you know, being on his last legs, like everybody else being so much better than Marco Gonzalez. Um, Emerson Hancock is repeating double. He's off to a great start in double. I think Hancock is starting to look like he's getting the stuff back, too, which uh, is really good news for a Mariner system that's obviously depleted given, you know, what they have traded out in, in the recent years and, uh, you know, what they're hoping to get from some of these other pitching prospects. Yeah. Next up is a guy who's pretty much going to graduate by the time we put this out. He might have graduated already. Uh, so we'll be updating this list as it goes, but we figured we got to go through, you know, what the top 100 was put out to be. 
And that's number 69, Spencer Steer of the Cincinnati Reds. And Spencer Steer, maybe, you know, a more limited ceiling than a lot of the other guys in this list, but it's really hard to argue against Spencer Steer and what he's been able to do through the minor leagues, adding power, not really having that come at any expense of a borderline plus hit tool. Uh, he's a good athlete. He can play all over the diamond. I think every team wants a Spencer Steer. Uh, it's that simple. Everybody wants a Spencer Steer, and, and the Reds are happy to have one. Yeah, I mean, Steer is hes a Swiss Army knife, man, right? Like, he's just the best example of somebody that can come up as a super utility guy. And, yes, he's going to hold down third base for Cincinnati. He doesn't need to be the third baseman of the future for the Cincinnati Reds. Beauty of Steer Probably why he's not higher, but why he's not any lower than this is because he factors into their future plans. You don't know where yet. You know what I mean? Like he's not good enough to say he's displacing everybody in that organization at third base, but he is good enough to say, all right, if Noel V looks like the third baseman of the future and Ellie De La Cruz looks like the shortstop of the future and India is at second base, Steer can play first or left. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and yeah, and and the thing is, is he's always going to afford himself the opportunity to play somewhere uh, with with the way that he's able to continue to just consistently hit. And you know, when you have that versatility, it really helps. To your point, because he's not going to be as impactful of a hitter to kind of push away those guys and give them everyday reps at third, like you said, because that's a, that's a premium offensive position, but he can hold it down there. He can hold it down pretty much anywhere. What I will say is he is adding power. He continues to hit the ball harder and harder and harder this year, a max exit velocity already of 111 miles an hour. That's more than we saw from him last year. You know, home run 108 off Mitch Keller, 435 feet. Uh, I think that was at the end of spring training or on opening day. Like we're starting to see a lot more juice from him. And the swing and miss is is not really a thing. Like he's one of the better bat to ball guys that you're going to see on this top 100 list. He, he's walked as much as he struck out this year. Uh, he's just a really, really, really safe profile. And yeah, you might not get many all star appearances. You might get one or two if you're lucky. Uh, but you'll take an above average regular that can play all over. Uh, and Steer is exactly that. He's not going to hit 320, but he can hit 270. I think. And get on base and and sneak out twenty homers in that stadium and just do everything you want out of a good grinding baseball player and it's a great it's a good player I I love Spencer Steer that was a great get by the Reds in the Tyler Malley trade for sure moving on to sixty eight very very interesting track uh, and, and a guy that still has all the upside in the world Brennan Davis outfield prospect Chicago Cubs I think a lot of people are starting to lose a little patience uh, he's twenty three still but. Guy that's kind of a prospect fatigue candidate, given how rapidly he ascended, uh, you know, the breakout that he had two years ago, uh, what we were kind of expecting him to do last year, which was potentially play his way into a call up at 22, 20, 20. No, it would have been 22 years old with that Cubs system. But back injury gets surgery, pretty much a lost season for him, goes to the fall league, starts to show some good things and then gets you know kind of shut down after a little bit of a flare up there. Uh, Davis took a little bit of time to get the power back which is expected from a tall, lanky hitter who was dealing with a legitimate back issue and had a procedure done for it. Um, I think we got to be patient with Davis because you have to expect it to take some time for that power to come back and for him to totally feel like himself. It is also worth noting that he's 23 years old still and a young 23. Uh, but it, it, it is getting to the point where you have to wonder, like, 
at what point do we sound the alarms on Brennan Davis? Like how long into this year does he have to struggle in AAA before you start to get nervous? Well, he's four for 33 in his first nine games. And I think that you can start to hover your hand over the alarm right now. Um, You're hoping that he came back fully healthy. It looks like he is. He's just not timed up right now. But it's also cold as hell. Like, I get that, too. I'd say give me another month. Give me until May 15. And if he's hitting under 200, I'm really concerned. Yeah. Fair? I think that's totally fair. What is interesting is he finished the year pretty well um, again and, and started to look a bit better and then looked really good in the beginning of the fall league, which I know is much, much lighter competition. Uh, but I, I'm interested to see how he continues. And um, this is a guy that you know, we were talking about kind of the candidates who could free fall or, you know, ascend into the top 50. Like here's exhibit a, uh, this is somebody that if he looks like he did two years ago, top 50 prospect, if he looks like he looks right now, it will start to get worried very quickly and he will kind of sink like a weight. Well, and this is the first faller that we've really talked about in any of these episodes, right? I mean, nobody else is jumping to mind because Davis was a top 20 guy consensus last year. And now I think you're higher on him than anybody else in the industry. I think so. And you know, that he's somebody that I've loved as a player for a long time. We saw him go deep twice in the futures game. Like the talent is there. To me, I see a guy that still doesn't feel like himself and still doesn't totally trust his body in the box. And uh, I mean, dude, it's a back like a back is weird. And he was a very explosive, you know, rotational type hitter. Um, I, I, I really do hope that it comes together from what the good news is he's not getting blown up. You know, it's not like he's just not catching up to stuff like he's not striking out an egregious amount. It's really just not consistently making you know, that hard contact that we've seen him make in the past, uh, you know, a lot, a lot more weak contact than we're used to. Hopefully he can iron that out. And I do agree. It might just be a little bit of a timing issue, a little bit of a trust thing. Uh, but at 23 years old, he could spend this whole year getting himself right and triple. And, you know, I, I, I think that's just fine. We just want to see a positive progression here uh, one way or another as he gets more at bats. Yeah, and it's not the Yelich concern like that. You know, that's immediately I think where everybody goes when they see, hey, tall, lanky, explosive athlete deals with lower back issue. Um, You think Yelich and then you look at Brennan Davis and he's not experiencing the same problems. Yelich's problem is he's putting every single batted ball on the ground. Brennan Davis is not doing that. He's lifting the ball a lot. Twenty three percent ground ball rate in the early goings, 41 plate appearances. But it's just not being hit with authority right yeah. now, which is weird. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it, it's interesting because the swing is is looking pretty good. And I'm even looking at some video right now. I think he's put together some good at-bats. And every time you think he's going to start to kind of break out of it, then he takes a little bit of a step back. But I, I'm really excited to watch Davis just get consistent at-bats because it just seemed like this guy just has not been able to get those consistent ABs to get himself right. Uh, I know the Cubs are still very high on him think very highly of him and he's going to get every opportunity to, to get right. And I know that's a big focus for him and for them. Yeah. Moving on to 67. It's just so funny how this works. So we go from him to uh, a guy who's about five years younger, maybe, maybe yeah. six years younger. Um, yeah. I think five and change and uh, looking great so far. And in, in the early going at the lower levels, Cam Collier, number 67 Cincinnati Reds first round pick last year. Like, can we just look at this, at this swing? Like for those that are watching on YouTube, this swing is just so nice. 
Collier is just ahead of his years. The swing is so advanced. Son of longtime big leaguer Lou Collier. Um, It's just amazing. He took that Bryce Harper Juco track where he just flies through, you know, graduates high school early, goes to Juco as a 17 year old, then goes to the Cape as a 17 year old and just just holds his own there. Swing decisions are elite, a plus power potential, good defender at third. I think he's got the chance to be that rare plus hit plus power potential at third base as a left hander with elite makeup and a good approach. It is a guy that could could ascend his way to one of the top prospects in baseball. He's so high floor for an 18-year-old. Yeah, as high floor of an 18-year-old as you're going to find. Which is like, it's backwards, and it feels hypocritical to even say, like, yeah, he's the most high floor teenager you'll ever see away from the complex. But that's what we're looking at here, man. 21 plate appearances with Loe Daytona so far. He's walked five times. He's punched out four times. He's always going to do that. He did that at every level. You mentioned he goes to the Cape. He's three and a half years younger than the average hitter out on the Cape at 17 years old. This is a high school senior pretty much that's facing off against the best draft eligible sophomores and juniors in college baseball. And he walks six times and he punches out six times in 29 plate appearances. No matter what pitching he sees, I think you could put him at double A and this guy's going to walk as much as he strikes out. So it's, it's amazing. If he can, I don't know, if he puts the final stages on puberty, this guy can can climb like a rocket ship. Well, he's apparently already 6'2", 210, and still looks like there's a little bit more room to add muscle. But even if there isn't, like he's already hitting the ball hard. One thing for, for Collier to watch and, and that he needs to continue to work on, but again, he's 18, puts him on the ground too much. That was the report I got from the Cape. Um, you know, there's a little bit of time. That, oh, sorry? He's running out of time. Yeah, he's, he's got to figure this out before his 19th birthday. Yeah. Uh, that's the one thing. He's putting the ball on the ground too much. Uh, that was a report I got out of the Cape, and that's kind of what I've seen in the early going, kind of heavy front foot, drifts a little bit, so common with young hitters. I'm sure he will iron that out. Uh, when everything is in, on time and he is in his back hip, there's plus power. You can see it there. He, he hit some bombs last year, even at the complex. But I like him at third. His arm is plus there. He continues to move better. I think he has no problem playing solid defense there. Uh, Collier's going to be a nice player for a long time. I'm um, very excited to see how quickly and how aggressive they move him through there. There's no reason to be, but I think he's going to give them reason to, to be aggressive with him, uh, which is a testament to, Cole, or to, to Cam Collier. Next up is Cole Keith, who I was about to say. Uh, another third baseman. We got back-to-back guys playing the hot corner. Colt Keith of the Detroit Tigers. Hit a walk-off home run the other day. It was a bomb. And and Keith is somebody that's a little bit more limited defensively. But, man, this is another safe offensive profile. His bat-to-ball skills were phenomenal from pretty much the beginning. It was just whether he was going to get into more power uh, and be able to tap into that. Well, he filled out. He added, like, 30 pounds of muscle. He's 6'3". Uh, so now we're seeing that that bat to ball, those impressive you know contact rates and, and low strikeout rates that we saw in the lower levels translate into power. And at 21 years old, we're seeing some big power. He hit a bomb uh, in spring training uh, off of I'm trying to remember who it was off of, but it was an absolute rocket. Uh, and then so far this season, he's already hit some balls really hard, looking to get going, but really, really good swing from the left side really powerful 
And I just feel very good about his approach, his bat to ball and his power translating into him being a really good bat. The question is the glove. Yeah. Um, strictly by looking at the error numbers defensively, I have glove concerns and I know that errors are the most, you know, simple stat ever when it comes to, you know, defense, but he makes a lot of errors. So I, I'm curious yeah. if he's a first baseman. The good news is he's a big dude. He's 21 years old and he's already in double A uh, yeah. and he's hit. He has earned his way to double A not to mention Colt Keith may be the best baseball name that we've got in this top yeah. 100 list. It's up there. It's up there. It's a it's a hell of a baseball name. 112, 112 mile an hour home run off of Domingo Herman in spring training. And he looks like that guy, right? Yeah. Like at the plate, it looks like even preload. Hey, that's somebody that can hit the ball yeah. 115. He's got the hands high. He has that gathering leg kick, sinks into the backside and just swings off the back leg like a big, powerful guy should. And it looks real good. It looks real, real good. So he's very young for the double A level, or at least relatively young for the double A level. But the approach is is strong. I think the bat's going to continue to get going. This is plus power potential, maybe a little bit more than that with an above average field to hit. I, I, I do wonder if he moves to first base. Uh, but because of how good the offensive profile is, I don't really care. Uh, And that's why he's at 66. So guy to watch this year. I think he's going to put up some big, big offensive numbers, um, you know, as the year goes on and has shown plenty of good things already. It's going to be nice when he turns 22 and he's up at the big league level and they move Torkelson to third and Colt Keith plays first. Oh God, (laughs) that'll be a rough, uh, that'll be rough corners. Torkelson third base experiment post-draft was absolutely insane. It was it was worth a shot, I guess. Sorry for the sidetrack, but no, was- I know I I never I remember I never labeled him as anything but first baseman in our uh, prospect rankings. I was like, I'm not buying this because he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't. That was a weird. Eh, they wanted to try it. Uh, a guy who is good with the glove, Joey Ortiz, shortstop prospect, Baltimore Orioles, uh, dealing with a concussion, should be back any day now. Triple A Norfolk. This guy went nuclear last season. And what's interesting about Joey Ortiz is he reminds me a little bit of like the Jeremy Pena mold, really good defender, uh, just a polished college shortstop at a smaller school. Uh, You know, Pena went to Maine. Ortiz went to New Mexico state with, with Nick Gonzalez. Ortiz gets selected. I believe it was in the second round as well. Second, third round as well. And uh, what you end up seeing with Ortiz is, Okay, or it was fourth round for Ortiz, excuse me. He adds more power and gets a lot stronger. And everyone's like, oh, that's interesting. And that was, the big question was how much power is he going to hit for? He looked at kind of a bat-to-ball, contact-oriented glove at shortstop. Adds the power. Start. You see a big uptick in average exit velocity, 90th percentile exit velocity at the end of 2021, but he gets hurt, messes his shoulder up. So then he comes back in 2022, and this was our first chance to like really see him in a full, full season with this added strength. It took him a little bit of time to get it going because it was that left, it was that lead shoulder. And then he hit his stride. And when Ortiz hit his stride, he was one of the best hitters in minor league baseball, point blank, period. Like, that's simple. I You queue up his final 75 games of the year. He slashed 347, 411, 596 with a 10% walk rate and a 13% K rate. 90% zone contact, 
and 103 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity. That is as good as it gets while picking it at shortstop. Uh, if he duplicates that this year, he should be. I know he's older. He's going to be 25. That's why he reminds me a little bit of Pena as a late bloomer. But he should be considered a top 30, 40 prospect in baseball if those data points and those numbers are duplicated this year. Yes, absolutely. He should be a major leaguer. He should graduate from this list by the all-star break if those numbers are being duplicated. Um, I, I mean, almost identical numbers in that 26-game sample he got in triple last year. So he bumps up a level and he levels up. 346 with a 967 OPS in 26 games in triple. So he passed that final month at the highest level of minor league baseball with flying colors. First nine games, he's hitting 325. Um, he's not walking at all. Um, I'm not that concerned about that no. because it's nine games and he's walked once. Um, like everything's going to normalize there. But if this is a true 300 hitter with how good he is defensively, you've got a 65 future on the field. I mean, you have to factor him into your future plans if you're the Baltimore yeah. Orioles. Well, I think they have. And and from everything that I've gathered, this is not you know from any sources or anything like that, but Everything I've read, all of the the words that Michael Elias puts out there and, you know, kind of just r- what writers around that cover the team have been saying, it seems like Ortiz is kind of ahead of the, in the pecking order of like a, a Westberg. And, and I, that makes sense given the defensive value that you get from Ortiz. So it, it seems like he might be, if he's healthy, which he is, he returned, I think, on Sunday or one of those days recently. And he had a shot yesterday, by the way, uh, into the gap at 105 for a double. So he's already kind of picking up where he left off. Uh, but th- this is somebody that could be a really solid everyday shortstop in the big leagues with the glove, with with the high-end bat-to-ball skills and now improved power. I'm excited to see how he does over the first couple months of the season and then see what that means for the Orioles and their plans with their other guys. Because we've been talking about how loaded their infield is you know, prospect-wise even before Ortiz had this, you know, coming out party last year. So now having like leapfrogged maybe Norby and Westberg, like it's going to be very interesting to see what this means for the aforementioned two, given that Ortiz seems like he might be in a more favorable position. Well, you've legitimately, uh, you legitimately have him leapfrogging Westberg yes. and Norby on this top 100 list. Um, the, the one that like, I've been discussing on the Just Baseball show is Mateo because I think Mateo has made some changes that can actually stay. He's hitting 350 in the early going. The thing that I cited on the Just Baseball show is Jorge Mateo has this God-given ability to run really fast. He's putting the ball on the ground more, and he's putting the ball to the pole side more. And as as contradictory as that sounds, that's the best thing that he could have done for his offensive profile. So this guy found out the best way to be an offensive piece and be an everyday player for the Orioles so now what does a new and improved Jorge Mateo do to Joey Ortiz, Jordan Westberg, Connor Norby? I'm very fascinated. And uh, it's trouble in paradise, but I, I think the Orioles might have to wheel and deal soon because these are a lot of 40-man backlog prospects too. They're going to have to open up some room on the 40-man sooner or later uh, with some of the other guys that they have coming up through the system as well and other moves that they're going to want to make. Yeah, we need a yeah. transfer portal. Yeah, transferable. That would be a disaster. <laughs> uh, disaster. 64, Miguel Blyce, outfield prospect, Boston Red Sox. I'd say that going into this, 
this is the guy that once I did the deeper dive, I have not seen him play in person yet. Very few have. Uh, this is one of the guys just doing the deeper video, data dive, whatever I could gather, made the biggest jump, made the biggest impression on me based on what I saw. Um, defensively stood out. I see a potential plus defender in center field. He glides out there, long, quick strides, plus runner, but it's just smooth as hell out there. And then offensively, there's a little bit of a, a, a I don't know what to de- how to describe it. There's a little bit of a, a hitch in the swing um, or this kind of move right before he goes to launch that seems like it could be an issue for him against harder velocity, especially inwards where the bat just is very deep. The bat, the barrel is very deep in the swing. Almost looks like he'll be a guy that frequents catchers interferences. That's okay, but there's a line that you want to draw where you don't want it to be too deep. Um, that said, there's above average or there's plus power potential, maybe even better than that, uh, and above average game power. So this guy has a, the potential to be a, a five tool center fielder, and that's why he's ranked so high. Probably one of the furthest off in terms of guys in the top seventy. Yeah, but. Once I saw what he could do defensively in center field, once I saw that he's already putting up one tens as a kid, that's what, 19 years old. Uh, yeah. and, and what we can already see from him with what we can project as a six, 180, 175, 180 pound guy. I mean, the ceiling is, is superstar. And I think that's enough to, to, to have him in the top 65 here. Yeah. Um, you are the second highest on Blyce. And I can't speak to Blyce as a player because, frankly, I haven't watched Miguel Blyce much at all because there's yeah. not much to watch. Um, Blyce, though, you know, is a consensus top 100 guy. Usually he's in the back, you know, 20 ish. So in the 80 to 100 range, Fangraphs has him at 20. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you can see like yeah. hey, the ceiling is totally 20, but like. That felt egregious for a 19-year-old? Yes. Yes. Uh, that was a bit much. But you know what? Like, if the, if if Fangraphs really believes that there's a, a higher likelihood than we believe that he can become what we just laid out, then by all means, he's got to be a top 20 guy for you. That's like James Wood territory. Like, if, if they think he's in that bucket, which I don't think is nuts. Like, I get it. It's just for me, if I'm – you know, offered a trade, they're the 63 guys ahead are just safer and you still have enough upside for me. But yeah. I could understand somebody wanting to take a shot on Blyce here uh, over 40 other guys, given what he could potentially be. Yeah. So BA has him at 88, uh, Pipeline has him at 93. There is another publication that has him in the mid 60s. He is 67 <laughs> on. Baseball prospectus. I love those guys. We got to connect. I don't. Even, I don't even know um, exactly who puts those lists together at prospectus, but I feel like we got to go. We got to meet up with them. Just to say, like, hey, like, what are we looking at? Because I feel like we're looking at well, a lot of the same things. And there's going to be no debate either. It's just yeah, we're like, just going to agree. agree. Like, oh yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> I agree. Next guy, I agree. That's really funny. I love that. I love that though. So we move on to. Man, I mean, this is this is where it gets wild. Number sixty-three, Marco Luciano, shortstop prospect, San Francisco Giants. We've yet to see Marco this year. Uh, we didn't see Marco as much as we'd like last year, but Marco has kind of turned heads ever since he hit that one hundred and 
18 mile per hour home run on in the backfield game off of Ryan Rollison a few years ago. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's more than that. He is a potentially elite bat with 35, hell, 40 home run potential if it all clicked and, and just a really special talent. But it's been a while now since we've really seen him do what he is kind of put himself on the radar doing, which is just mash consistently last year. I think people were a little bit harder on him than he deserved. Like he, he did still put up pretty good numbers for a guy that was hurt a lot of the year and you know, yeah. kind of banged up. Uh, yeah. But at the end of the day, like this was a guy that was looked at as maybe one of the top prospects and baseball candidates going into last year. Right. In terms of like the question that's always asked, who can ascend to number one prospect in baseball territory by midseason? Like, I think some people would have given Marco Luciano as an answer prior to last year. Now he's at 64. I don't know where the rest of the, or 63. I don't know where the rest of the industry has him, but for me, man, it was just between the injuries, between the, you know, some of the defensive questions. And then also just, you know, we haven't seen enough to say the bat is safe, like 78% zone contact last year. Yeah. He hits yeah. the crap out of the ball. Yeah. He has a decent approach, but um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of variance here. There's a lot. And, you know, he's still like a top 25 guy by most outlets um, because he was a top 10 guy last year. And I remember you even being lower on him than a top 10 guy last mm-hmm. year. Like Luciano, he, he's no LV, like it's the no LV Marte conversation. Like you always pegged him as a third baseman. And, and now, you know, I, I think that you're looking at him as an injury prone third baseman who, yeah. you know, it, Yes, is 21 years old, but we've already gotten good glimpses at him. And and he's been much, much younger than everybody else at whichever level he's at. But we have yet to see him in 2023. And availability is huge on these top 100 lists. So I can absolutely see why you were more willing to drop him farther than everybody else. Because, you know, like he needs to be on the field a bit more to be considered like a surefire top 40, top 30 guy. So I almost call it like, to your point, I almost call it like double risk because if you're going to be a risky high variance prospect, I can pallet that when I can see what you can be. And we've seen what Luciano can be. When you pair a high variance prospect with health issues, now you've got this double risk that if, if I'm building a team, you know, or if I'm, you know, trading for a prospect, that double risk is going to put me off, you know, and, and that's why he's in this spot. I think you've got the risk of his profile and then the risk of his health and both of which have not been trending in the right direction. So, you know, I think it's a little bit of name value that's keeping him in that top 20, top 30. But I think if you ask major league teams, if you survey GMs and they, you they, you know, you asked them, are there 20 or like list out all of the prospects that you would take ahead of Marco Luciano I can promise you there'd be more than 20 or 30 that they would list that they would take ahead of Marco Luciano. At least that's what I think uh, with a pretty high degree of confidence. Um, but that said, he has, he could, it could click for him this year. He could stay healthy and, and play a hundred something games and you could fly up the ranks, but right now he's not on the field again. Um, and, and it's really frustrating because we know the kind of power potential he has. Uh, we know, you know what he can do offensively, how special he can be. I mean, this guy last year, even in a year where he was banged up, 113 mile an hour exit velocities. But what's concerning about that is we've seen him do better than that a long time ago. The year before that, he was 115 max 
Um, and then the year before that, he was 118 max. So we, we're kind of seeing this like downward trajectory slightly and exit velocities after being injury you know, laden. And, and that's not always the best of signs. So we'll see on Marco Luciano. Yeah. Next up, another guy with a fair amount of questions that we got a lot of questions about when we did the, the live, uh, the top 100 Q&A, which you can go check out on our YouTube, by the way, if you want to see some of the questions that we answered. It's Marco Luz, or excuse me, it's Noel V. Marte, who, for those watching on YouTube, can see a silky smooth swing that looks really good when everything's on time. But Marte, third baseman, Cincinnati Reds, off to a bit of a slow start in double A, but you know, I'm honestly not that worried about that. That's not really the issue. Um, it's kind of what we saw last year, which was a shaky, really shaky approach and a swing that often takes him off the baseball. And I don't know, you know, there was a really good question I got that is it that he wants to pull everything or is it a swing issue? And it might just be a swing issue in terms of his front side leaves everything. As I mentioned in the write-up, he's very spinny is what I'll call it. So when he goes to launch into a swing, that front side leaves, the bat drags, and as a result, barrels in and out of the zone too quickly, and you either roll over or it results in just a lot more weak contact. Well, guess what? Extremely high pull rates, way too high ground ball rates. Pair that with above average chase rates, meaning a little bit too high. And you get a guy that flashes plus power, but has an average exit velocity that's on par with guys with average power. And that is not good. I don't care about him moving to third. Don't care about that. We were already baking that into the rankings last year. Um, But it's frustrating because – this is a guy that could be a, a 55 hit tool guy. The zone contacts 85, 86%. You saw this one. You've called it beautiful. Uh, I think you used the word sexy. Yeah. When everything's on time, and there's every once in a while where, where he stays closed and he drives the ball the other way. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a top 20 prospect. But then it just reverts right back. So I don't know if it's approach. I feel like it's more swing. And the other problem with that is when you do that, when you have that front side leave, as a result, you are going to really struggle with breaking balls. And guess what? He really struggled with breaking balls. I feel like I'm saying a lot of negative things about him, and he's the 62nd-ranked prospect in baseball. So I'll flip to some positives. But before I get to that, like, what's your take on like the Noel V. Marte roller coaster rankings-wise? Because another prospect fatigue, guy's 21. Yeah. Um, here's an edgy take for you. And like, I typically don't get edgy when it comes to like prospect takes because I don't know. I watch them from a surface lens. You know, I don't dive into the data like you do just because this data isn't necessarily accessible. But my edgy take is from watching him last year at, at a higher level and like biggest jump in minor league baseball we talk about is from high A to double. But I think the jump from low A to high A is pretty big too because yeah, you've got yeah. guys in low A that have no idea where the ball is going. And even if it's 89 in high A, a lot of guys know where 89 is going in high A. Noelvi Marte putting up almost identical numbers in high A to what he did in low A the year before almost made me feel better about yeah. Noelvi Marte because there's some closure there. It's all right, th- this guy is going to adjust his game to be an 830 OPS guy at every single stop. Like, that's my thought. So in, until proven otherwise, I view Noelvi Marte as a 275 hitter with an 830 OPS. And that's the crazy thing, man, is like he is still competing. And not only competing, hitting to an above average clip despite 
the approach issues or despite the, the swing issues, whatever you want to call it. And that's, and the, that's the craziest part. But because we viewed him so highly going into last year, we paid so much attention to his flaws instead of what he was doing well in 21 that he did well again in 22. You know what I mean? So we're almost like focused on the negative there. Yeah. You know, and and, and that's the thing is like I, yeah, I've talked to some people that you know, don't see Noel V as a top 100 guy. I've talked to some people that say that and both I very much respect that say, hey, we're being way too hard on this guy. So, you know, that always tells me this is a very polarizing prospect that, you know, there, there's no wrong answer. We end up siding kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, but for me, it's like, OK, why is he ahead of Spencer Steer was the question that Peter gave me on the top 100 breakdown we did on the Just Baseball Show. Great question. And ultimately, it's because of what you said, right? We've already seen him put up competitive numbers despite the approach and, and sometimes swing issues and, you know, power uh, inefficiencies at times. Cause there's just, sometimes he just hits the ball so weakly for a guy that's so powerful because of how much he takes himself out of it. Yeah. Yet he's 21 years old and he's got th- two, three years to really iron this out still. And I feel like he can do that. Um, if this guy starts using the whole field, controlling his body, staying on the baseball, uh, I think the overall approach will get better. The swing decisions will get better. We'll get better against breaking balls. And again, he's 85% zone contact. That's great. Uh, So I I do believe that this guy can rise back up. And honestly, it's going to be really interesting to see which which one of him or Luciano kind of takes that next step. Both very risky, both stacked for a reason. They're kind of in the same department there. But Marte's bat-to-ball ability – is what put him just ahead for me, even though Luciano has some more power. And, and if I had to pick one, I think I'm going with Noelvi because um, he's available. He, he played 115 games last year after playing 107 the year yeah. before. He's on the yeah. field. 100%. I also think Next he could up. be a decent third baseman. Sorry, one, one no. more thing. I think he could be a, a pretty solid defensive third baseman. I think he gets a little bit more flack than he deserves there. I think they tried him at third for too long. They should have realized that that probably wasn't going to happen. I know you don't want to move a guy at 20, but you could kind of tell. Like every, When every write-up says probably moving, you should probably just move. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think it's been a, a later you know time to kind of learn third base now, and I think he'll get comfortable, and I agree. I think he can be a fine defender there. That's why a 40-50 future uh, and I think if he's a 50 defender there, like that's just fine with what you're going to get offensively. And his power will play up in Grand American Ballpark. So if it clicks, it's going to click. I don't think there's going to be any in between with Marte in that yeah. regard. Next up is a guy who's set to graduate very soon, a guy that I know you've watched plenty of, and it's been really fun to watch his development. Oscar Colas, outfield prospect, Chicago White Sox. Colas, this dude's power, I think, is even bigger than – Maybe some people gave him credit for it. Everyone knew that Colas had juice, but I don't know if anyone talked about the kind of juice that we have seen from Colas really in the early going at the big league career points uh, in spring training. And then even at the end of last year, Colas put up a lot of a lot more one tens, one elevens, one twelves, even one thirteen, one fourteens than I thought we were going to see from him. On top of that, he crushes fastballs. And if you crush fastballs, you can you know, crush fastballs, crush velocity. You can do that to a, a, at least being a platoon guy at the big league level. So that's why I, I kind of like, even though he's not a high floor prospect, I think the way he's able to hit fastballs and hit velocity almost gives him a high floor. Last year against four seamers, 
he hit almost 400 with a 1,000 OPS. And then if you queue that up, similar to like we did with Edouard Julien, if you queue it up to velocity, 95 plus, a 1,050 OPS, like the, the dude just crushes heaters, crushes lefties, needs to improve against breaking balls and change ups. But again, if you crush lefties and crush all fastballs, you're going to find a spot in the big leagues. Yeah, and you're going to find a spot in that lineup too. And, and so many of those guys in that lineup are beaten by off-speed. Um, so when you get down to seven or eight in the batting order, like obviously these guys do their homework on Colas. They know that he's a fastball masher. But y- you can't throw exclusively breaking pitches to one through nine in that batting order. And, no. and you would prefer to get Eloy Jimenez and Tim Anderson and Luis Robert and Yoan Moncada out by peppering them with breaking balls. you got to throw a fastball at some point. And especially if the breaking pitch isn't working, you got to go to the fastball. Colas being in a good lineup when fully healthy, and that's a that's a just baseball show conversation, like, oh, my gosh. But um, Colas being in that fully healthy lineup, he's the seven hitter. Seven hitters see fastballs. And if he sees fastballs, he's going to hit them a long way. And he's done that already in the early going of his big league career. He's got to improve the, improve the approach. Yeah. Super high chase rate. That's always kind of been the case for him. But well, he, he, seems, he and everybody else in that lineup. Yeah, literally. That's got to be the highest swing rate of any team in baseball. But already, he's already crushing fastballs. I think he's hitting over 400 against him in a small sample size this year. Um, there's going to be strikeouts, man. Like, it's going to happen. Uh, but at 24 years old, flew through the minor leagues, kind of skipped AAA. He was barely there. Um, you know, I, I do wonder how much he's going to hit. But I do think that there's potential for at least a fringe average hit tool. If he does that with the power, uh, he's a fine glove out there. He could get better with his reads and routes, his arm. He's got a hose as a former pitcher, too. Uh, he's just a fun prospect that just hits the ball too hard and hits fastballs too hard to not be in the top 100. But he was a tough guy to rank because of the proximity, but still risk at the same time. Uh, but I, I'd venture to say that there's not a lot of guys – you know, there's not there's not 65 guys that teams are taking over Oscar Colas right now. And I mean, he broke into a lineup for a pretty good White Sox offense. Yeah, I mean, it was either going to be him or, you know, Gavin Sheets out and right full time. And, and I think the White Sox like, yes, while Sheets is not the best option, um, Colas was a guy that like won a job in yes. spring training. Like Colas and Jordan Walker, I think, and Volpe. Those are the three best examples of guys that won jobs. In Straight up won them. I, I agree. And and Colas looked a little bit more patient in the spring spring stretch. I'd like to see that come back <laughs> a little know, bit. I think he knows what he needed to do. And now he's yeah. like, all right, I'm going to be right, you now. <laughs> right back on my BS again. I'm just going to start cutting loose. Um, next up, number 60, Robert Hassel the third. Hassel, it was I would categorize last year as a lost season for Robert Hassel. And it's funny because we were going back and forth about this with uh, your co-host of the Show and Go podcast with you, Taylor Davis, longtime professional catcher, former big league catcher. We're, when we were doing our live, he was saying, ham hey, no big deal. Um, I've Again, I don't want to argue with a guy that played Major League Baseball because obviously he knows more than I do. But I can only speak to what I've been told by guys that have dealt with the ham hey, it's taken them a long time to kind of feel like themselves again. And, and I think that that could have easily impacted Robert Hassel, a guy with fringy power to begin with last year. Not only that, he gets traded in, you know, one of the biggest halls that we've seen in, uh, you know, modern baseball, really. And that's like piece four in that deal, yeah, which is insane. stupid. 
Um, but he's, he's just came back. He's doing, I think, a rehab assignment right now in like low A before they bring him up back to high A or eventually maybe double where he finished the season last year. Hassel's a weird one because we're waiting for him to grow into a little bit more power. But at the same time, while we've been waiting for that, like the, the hit tool kind of diminished at the end of last year. You saw plenty of hassle in Fort Wayne when you were the play-by-play guy out there in 2019. And you spoke to the speed being better than he got credit for, and you were right. And I think that's something that people have come back around on, that realizing, hey, this guy's going to stick in center. And I think realizing that he's going to stick in center takes some pressure off of whatever power we were begging him to grow into. And I don't think he needs to grow into more power to be a successful guy. I think if he's a doubles hitter that sneaks out 15 homers, he's a good base stealer, he can stick in center, and if he you know, has a late-blooming power stroke like Christian Yelich – a few years into his big league career, that's fine. I think he can get to the big leagues off of gap to gap, good bat to ball, and good speed and defense in center. The question is, was last year a result of a messed up hamate bone, which a lot of very, very prevalent evaluators and, and analysts in the industry have said and seem to believe, and, and the Nationals seem to believe as well, or did he get kind of, punched in the face by double a last year because before that you know he was really good with the Padres in those 75 games and he plays 10 games in high a with the Nationals and wasn't good and then played 27 games in double a with the Nationals and wasn't good um so it was a little a little bit of a weird sample and stretch there but you have a 75 game sample with the Padres Jack where he hit 299 379 467 with 10 homers and 20 bags like where'd that go yeah, I don't. I, I think that went when his handmate did, and I think that the best thing he could have done for himself was getting that fixed this off season. So I am, I am one of those that's willing to chalk it up to maybe him being hampered after the trade, um, and I hope that's the case because I love watching this guy's body move, whether it's defensively in the outfield or at the plate, even the movements and the weight transfer. Like he's just he's so athletic and so in tune with every single minute movement that his body makes during a swing. And like just watching him maneuver a baseball field is, is really fun because with wood you dream on the judge statue, right? The, the gargantuan figure that hits the ball a million feet and, and can run and can throw and can move with hassle. It's like this dude's silky as hell, like an outfield version of Trey Turner. I think Hassel is a very silky baseball player, and I think that he loves that. After our conversation with him on this podcast, you know, last year when he was still in Fort Wayne, um, I, I think that he wants to lean into that smooth athleticism, and I think that that comes back this year. And and an interesting point that you bring up on the handmate too, because it didn't break until the fall league. So it could have been something, and it's a, a little bit different than like it's broken, we remove it, and now you're back in six weeks and like just trying to get it back. Because guys sometimes take a while to get going after the procedure. For him, it didn't break till the fall league, but he tapered off dramatically at the end of the year. And I, I, so I can speak to this anecdotally with with Griffin Conine, one of my closest friends, who broke his handmade bone ahead of last year. And he said that he broke it in the offseason. But he said it was bothering him the whole end of the year. And he like kind of knew that it was probably going to go. And then it was starting to affect his swing. And then finally in the offseason, he was taking BP and pop, there it went. So 
that's a thing that I'm sure it was not only Griffin's anatomy. I could have happened to other guys. So if that was bothering him for a while, a guy that's already fringy with the power, that could have been the difference to your point, leaning into that mold that, that we see for him now, what do you think that is like everyday center fielder with that can hit for average and sneak out enough home runs? Like, I think he could, I kind of see a Bryce Turang type of offense mm-hmm. in center field. Like mm-hmm. I, I do see a Bryce Turang type of player. Left-handed stroke, sneaky power, but at the end of the day, it's 10 to 15 homers, good defense at the position, and a great base stealer. Do you, do you kind of see that? Yes. I don't know if there's a guy that fits what I think Hassel can do. Like, Nimmo is a name that jumps to mind with way less walks. You know, like, but Nimmo is, hey, I can hit 300. He hit 275 last year played great defense in center, swiped enough bags. That's the thing that Hassel doesn't get enough credit for. Not only can he steal bags, he's an incredibly efficient base He's dealer. good, man. He's, he's really good. good. 24 and for I, 27 last year. And I think with these rules, like I think he's going to keep being a machine. He's He is quick, savvy, and and, and I think that's going to be a big part of his game. I, I, I really do see the terrain crossover here the more I think about it. Yeah. Um, and remember, terrain didn't really grow into the uh, – average power until recently um i think hasso could maybe tap into more than that um but th- that's a good profile as a center fielder man like that it's a really good profile yeah i i agree i i just don't think that there's a guy that looks like him right now not right now in center field no no and also we don't totally know what he looks like he could grow into more power he's still so young um and and so athletic and, and a great, a great dude. Uh, we had him on the show a little while back. Love, love his makeup. Love the way he approaches the game, and I think that's going to go a long way for him too. After bouncing back off of a rough year, I think he's a big part of the future in in, in Washington, and a guy that I'm prepared to kind of bump right back up the ranks very soon. Fifty nine, Termar Johnson, second base prospect, Pittsburgh Pirates. Who, if I'm not mistaken, is yet to make his debut. Right, he's still dealing with a hammy. Has yeah. he played yet this year? No, he's not. No, I didn't think so. I thought I would. I definitely would have saw that. Um, I mean, dude, it's it's hard to talk too much about Termar. I tend to rank him a little bit lower. One, because I don't like ranking recently drafted guys super high because they were drafted super high. I don't really believe in that. Like, you got to look at them holistically and and make your own decisions. Um, that said, Termar is a special offensive talent, but. We haven't seen that much from him offensively yet, professionally. And he's limited defensively, right? He's going to play second base. And that's probably where he's going to play. So there's a lot of pressure on the bat. There's not that much speed. We'll see how much power there is. I think there could be above average to plus power. But this is a very unknown player that I think is it's nuts to rank him in the top 30. We have him at 59 because I see the upside. It's, it's elite bat speed. It's special offensive talent. But he's a second bat for a second baseman that we haven't seen yet. You can't tell me that teams are taking Tamar over some of the other names that we're going to talk about ahead of him. Yeah, I don't I don't know how to view this guy. Because again, there isn't anybody that's like him. Like Altuve was a good second baseman. You know what I mean? He also it, flies. Yeah, Altuve flies. Like Tamar doesn't. So I'm thinking. 
all right, you see the numbers that Connor Norby put up in the minor leagues last year? Like that's what yeah. you're hoping Tamar can put up in the major leagues. Yes. Um, and, and Tamar has a higher ceiling than Connor Norby, but if Tamar's minor league season on a yearly basis looks like Connor Norby's 2022, the Pittsburgh Pirates are very happy. So I, yeah. I guess I view those two in a similar light, although I'm not sure. Like, what do you hope for? Albies? I don't know. I was like, like Marcus Semien? Like, is that yeah. too but, yes. but that's an, that's an, that's like an impactful defender. It's, he's a shortstop to come up. I, I think you're looking at a third, like what you're hoping for is a third base profile at second. Yeah. Which is cool. That's, that's fantastic. Right. Like I, I think there's, there's a world where some of the pirates brass would give you a ridiculous comp. Like they'd be saying, we're hoping that he's Rafael Devers offensively. Jeez. Yeah. But, that's what I imagine. You saw the kind of comps and like stuff that we're. I think that's egregious. I think it's we ridiculous. Believe we got the best prep hitter since Bryce Harper. Were some of the comps that we were getting? Didn't they? Say, yeah, they said that stuff, right? Yes. Like that's what I'm saying. So like that's essentially saying that you're hoping it can be Rafael numbers. I can see why they think that and believe that, and that could possibly be the case. But without enough complementary tools, I need to see more of the bat before I feel that good. I can't just say, "Oh, that's sick bat speed." that'll play there's too many variables that said the bat speed is sick enough and and he does look special enough that he is a top 60 prospect no doubt about it um but i want to see more if we see him get off to a good start and we start to see like what that bat can do then all of a sudden okay i'm 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 starting to to lock in a little bit more and he could fly up the ranks someone else i'm kind of thinking about what he could what the ceiling could be is maybe like a jose miranda offensively Something like that. Yeah, but that's a guy that hit for average, didn't strike out, and launched a lot of home runs in 2021. But they want more. They want more than 30 home runs and double and triple with a 344 batting average. No, they want that. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I know what you're saying. Like in terms of the big leagues, you want more, and I think like. Tamar's yeah. game will translate more directly to the big leagues. I think, you know, Miranda was just kind of feasting on, on, you know, lesser competition, but he's a really hard guy to project. I'm not going to say best prep bat since Bryce Harper though. I just, I just can't say that yet. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I'm, maybe he is though. I don't know. 58, the legend himself, who's been on the show multiple times, Joey Weimer. Joey Weimer is just off to a phenomenal start to his professional career uh, or to his big league career was off to a phenomenal start to his professional career. And Weimer is just awesome, man. We've talked about it. We've talked about why we, I think we've always been the high guys on Joey Weimer. And I know he's slowed down a little bit over his last few games, but what he showed us out of the gate, I think is, is, is what we can kind of potentially expect from him. His defense has been spectacular Got to give him credit there. He's stolen a couple bags, but he's going to be a streaky hitter. That's just the, the what it's going to be. Uh, but we're talking about plus plus power potential, plus plus speed, potentially a plus defender. Even if the hit tool is below average, he's going to be a very impactful baseball player. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you want me to give you another hundred pence comp? I feel like everybody's done the hundred pence thing already. Yeah, I yeah. know. I know. I know. I, I I am hoping that he gets consistent at bats, you know, like uh, when guys come back and, and, you know, maybe other prospects are coming through what they do, but Weimer to me is somebody that like, it's going to be streaky. He might not hit for average, but 
70 speed or at least 60 speed and 70 power. Like I should probably bump that to 60. I think he's a true 60 runner. Uh, can I, 70 power. Like that's, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. Can I tell you? So Sal Freelick is off to a really slow start in triple. I think that gives Garrett Mitchell and Weimer a bit more time in the outfield. Um, I think we're going to see in, in a couple weeks, maybe um, it, like check back with me in a month. I think that we're going to see a three-game stretch where Weimer homers three games in a row. Like that's the <laughs> I, kind of guy he is. I do think he's totally that guy. And, and it's been again. He started his his professional career by hitting in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games straight, and then, like in true rookie fashion, the next one, two, three, four, five, six games straight, he did not pick up a hit. Yeah. Happens. Um, I, I think if they give him consistent at bats, he'll continue to get better. But again, what really stands out to me is what he's been doing defensively. Eye test-wise, been making all the plays, looks great. Flying colors. Outs above average-wise, flying colors. Already three outs above average, six defensive runs saved in the outfield. Damn. That gives him a .3 F4 in 15 games, despite not hitting that great over his last handful of games. Most importantly, not punching out that much and walking. He will impact the game even if he's not hitting, but he will hit and he will punish mistakes at the very least with great complementary tools. His game is so funny at times because, like, there was a stretch in Biloxi where he was striking out every time he came to the plate. It's just and- timing because all of the moves that he has. But, yeah. like, yeah, when he's off, dude, like, it's- and, and but, like, the thing is, now he's up there and you see that in Biloxi and it's like, oh, what's going to happen when he gets to Milwaukee? Not that. It's <laughs> in Nashville. He struck out like 15% of the time in Nashville. I, I think he was like bored in Biloxi. I'm not even kidding. Like I just, <laughs> like he, he had been dominating there for so long. We're waiting for him to get called up or promoted and it just didn't happen. And then uh, they promote him in the middle of a slump. And then he hits 330 <laughs> with a 15% K rate. That guy's one of my favorite personalities in the minors. And I could almost imagine him just being bored and being like, all right, if you're not going to promote me, I'm just going to, I'm just going to kind of coast for a little bit. Cause the second he got promoted, it was a joke. And that's in a way harder place to hit too. Yeah. Uh, in Nashville versus Biloxi. Yeah. Next up, a guy that I think has been on the shelf to start the season, but should be back very soon. Number 57 is Adel Amador. One of the, another, 80 grade name, at least 70 grade name yeah. on this top 100 list. Colorado Rockies shortstop prospect, probably a candidate to move to second switch hitter with elite field to hit. I think he could potentially be a plus plus hitter. 90% zone contact last year from both sides of the plate. Way ahead of his year's approach. Uh, one of the lowest chase rates you're going to find, especially at the lower levels. An already sneaky pop. 101.5 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity, for example, would be right on par with Anthony Volpe. You don't have to hit the ball extremely hard, especially being in the Colorado ranks. Uh, that said, I think he's going to grow into a little bit more power. He's got to lift the ball more, though. 55% ground ball rate too high. That's something that I'm sure will get better. But the contact rates are elite. The approach is elite. He's a switch hitter. Good defender at second. Might be able to get by it short. And he did that as a 19-year-old last year. Yes, uh, eighty grade baseball name, eighty grade headshot with Fresno yeah, come last on. year, so good. Yeah, dude. I mean, super so fresh, good. so fresh. Chain popped, braces on. He's just got the side smile going. Yeah, I mean, Amador is Amador is the young guy that you should be really excited about, and and he is probably on the same timeline that Drew Romo is. Uh, Romo going to spend this entire year in double, I assume. Amador could probably end this year in double, right? He's like a really young guy. So the first wave is probably going to look like, 
Um, I mean, Tolia and Tovar are the first wave, but then, you know, Veen and Bernabelle is going to be the next wave. And then Amador, Romo, and I think Gabriel Hughes can catch up to those guys as the final wave. And then the Rockies get exciting. But Amador, I, I think, is you've got him a couple spots ahead of Drew Romo, like 15 spots ahead of Drew Romo. I, I think that those two are kind of in lockstep like they can they can do some cool stuff. A hundred percent. And and I'm I'm really excited about Amador. One of the higher floor, lower level guys you're gonna find with that bat. And I could see him feasting on the big gaps uh over course field by the time he gets there. Should climb relatively quickly. Last but not least in this episode is number fifty-six, Edgar Caro, catching prospect to Los Angeles Angels. Caro got a really aggressive assignment to double A. I think I spoke about it maybe in our live stream. Uh, I was able to kind of speak to someone within the, the Angels org, and, and they said that they were a little bit aggressive with Caro because of the fact that they love the coaching staff there in Rocket City, and that shows you what kind of priority Edgar Caro is, right? Like They're going to promote him quickly because of how polished the hit tool is. He, he's, a plus, he's a plus hitter, switch hitter, really, really good from both sides of the plate. Sneaky pop that's continuing to get better. I think he's going to have above average power, but does a good job of driving the ball in the air. Glove is a work in progress, but high in makeup, Earns earns high, high high points for you know what he does in terms of pitch calling, uh, but you know he's got to get a little bit better defensively. Very raw in that regard. That's fine. But the bat is really what what the calling card is and what could keep him as a relevant prospect, even if the catching doesn't come along. And I love the fact that the Angels are putting him in a position where it's challenging in Double A, and they feel like he's got the right coaches around him to develop defensively and offensively. Pretty good pitching staff over there in Rocket City too. Uh, Caro is a name to watch and a very special talent. Yeah. I mean, he was one of those guys that like y- you pull up the minor league leaderboards from a year ago. It was Christian Encarnacion Strand and Edgar Caro that were like the two names that I was like, who is this? Yeah. Uh, but Edgar Caro was that guy, 111 games. It, you mentioned he was incredible last year, hit 312, but how about the 435 OBP? And so far this year, I mean, just seven games, but he's hitting 308. He's got eight hits and 34 plate appearances. He's walked seven times. He's been hit by a pitch, sporting a 471 OBP in his first that, seven games. That's as that's as a newly turned 20 year old 11 days ago in double A yeah. as a catcher. Yeah. It, did he also catch the no hitter where they lost seven five? Because I would say bad job catching if that's the case. Uh, let's see. That would have been against, I think the answer is almost Chattanooga. Chattanooga. Well, he caught two games against Chattanooga, the sixth and the eighth. I have no idea which one it was, but it, it was the one that they lost seven, five. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He caught that game. He caught a no hitter. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, 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 the catching's a work in progress, but think about this, like who, who he caught in that game, Coleman Crow one of the higher like IVB fastball guys. And then he had to catch Ben Joyce just spiking one Oh four. So yeah, like he's getting, he's getting thrown into the ringer here. And while I'm sure that the defense is a work in progress, he's still hitting while doing that. And I'm sure learning a ton. If you can handle a wild one Oh four from Ben Joyce, I think everything else will be gravy. So um, I, I do love what he is doing. This is a name that if you ask me like, who's someone that you could see rising into the top 20, in the midseason update, here's Exhibit A, uh, because I think he could be a guy that easily does that. One of the lowest chase rates you're going to see as well. Um, it, it, there is a question of how much power he's going to hit for. He's like 5'8", but 
he already gets into a decent amount. 102.5 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity last year is pretty darn good. And I think he flashed a little bit more than you'd expect in the max exit velocity department, put up some 108s, 109s. Um, and there should be a little bit more power in the tank there. Even if the glove doesn't come along, I love that bat, but I think the glove can come along to be even just average. Real quick before we wrap up, Jack, we got two promotions that we talked about on the Just Baseball show, but we obviously got to hit on it here. His teammate, Zach Neto, gets the call up. Um, that is awesome. <laughs> we didn't get to yeah. talk about it. We'll talk about it more in tomorrow's episode on the open, but I just wanted to mention it real quick. So I'm sure some were probably waiting for our reaction to that. Neto picked up his first hit today as we're recording this. Um, he's going to get it. We, we talked about him as a guy that we thought would start a wild card game for the Angels. Uh, and we said he'll be up by the end of the year and should make an impact for the Angels. Well, here he is now. Very excited to see what he's going to do playing everyday shortstop for a team that's got their eyes set on the playoffs. Zach Neto is a special talent and is a candidate to be able to do this. And I'm really glad that the Angels are giving him a shot too. Yes. Um, Neto is, you know, I looked at it from the Otani lens where this is a great pitch from the Angels to keep Otani because they're willing to be aggressive and try and win with him. But from a Neto perspective, if anybody taken in the first round last year is going to survive like this right away, it's Zach Neto. Like yeah. he, this was a guy that saw immense success at the mid-major level in the Big South at Campbell. Um, you know, those types of guys, like they are the dude. And while they may not be seeing SEC pitching all the time, what they are doing is building the confidence to know that they can be anywhere. Because this guy was a first-round pick out of a mid-major school. Those guys hardly ever deal with imposter syndrome, as no. backwards as that sounds, because they were the guy and they are in a, in a healthy and good way, as confident as they come. So the thing that stands out to me with Neto and why I think it's going to translate really well and why it has translated. You, you mentioned the mid-major where he hits over 400, then goes to the Cape, hits there, high A, hits there, double A, hits there. And and what the reason why I think he's so polished and so advanced is that he was a very hit tool oriented guy coming out of high school that had to really do everything fundamentally sound to get the most out of his game. That's why he committed to Campbell and not UNC. What ended up happening is a little bit of growth spurt, adds some strength. And now this very fundamentally sound player has a little bit of power, has a little bit more speed, has a little bit more impact. And he didn't lose all of those really impressive fundamentals that helped him be a really polished hitter and helped him be a really well-rounded player. That's going to translate at the big league level too. Even if he's, you know, struggling to, you know, put up similar numbers that he put up in other spots, he's going to be productive and battle and be a good, you know, a better option than they had previously based on that grinder mentality and that high floor that he has. Brett Beatty gets the call up and gets brought back up. This guy's not going to look back. I'm going to put no. my my I'm going to put my flag down on that. I've seen everything that he needs to possibly do in AAA. His glove has gotten better. Sitting 112 homers oppo. Like there's really not much else we need to see from Beatty. I think he's ready to take over the hot corner for the Mets and 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 maybe never look back. Yeah. No, I mean Beatty is the third baseman of the future. And I think, you know, we we parlayed the Beatty conversation into the Francisco Alvarez conversation on the Just Baseball show. And it's hey, Beatty is ready. Beatty has proved it. Alvarez has not. Uh and we're seeing Alvarez up there like play sporadically. Couldn't be a more different situation with Brett Beatty. He's going up there to play every day against right-handed pitching. And I think if if you see a Beatty, Eduardo Escobar platoon 
at third base with Beatty getting, you know, two thirds of the share with with right handed pitching. Um, and then as soon as this Eduardo Escobar deal is up, which I think this is the last year we're seeing Eduardo Escobar, maybe one more year after I that. One more after this one, but they'll probably trade him. Yeah, like you can trade him for scraps like James a la James McCann this past offseason. But I, I think this year is a platoon and the next year he takes over in like an everyday role. We're seeing the start of a great career for Brett Beatty. Very excited about that. Very excited to get through the top 55 prospects in future episodes. We'll continue to fly through this list. Jack, you got something? Yes, I figured out the math. I know how we're going to do it now. Okay, let's hear it. 55 to 41, 40 to 25, 24 to 11, and then the top 10. I love it. I love it. That is perfect. And that's the way we're going to do it to finish up this top 100. Also, Check out So Rare MLB. It is free fantasy where you can win prizes like VIP rewards, merchandise, Ethereum, and other things that are really fun. I've been having a blast playing the game. If you listen to the Just Baseball show, we've talked about it a ton. Uh, You can make your lineup for free with the link in the podcast description for a chance to build your lineup, win big rewards, and just have a lot of fun. People have been DMing me their lineups. Basically, you put your team together with a budget. You get as many points as you can. And you, you finish in these competitions, depending on where you finish, depends on what kind of reward you get. Definitely go check out So Rare MLB. That'll do it for this episode of The Call Up. Looking forward to talking top 55 prospects with you tomorrow. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.